0: So it's a million-dollar question, right? Should we, the United States of America, go to war with Russia? Now, of course, I'm talking about what's happening in Ukraine and the mass number of Russian troops that are being put on the border with Ukraine. Obviously, Vladimir Putin is not only threatening to invade Ukraine, he's probably going to invade Ukraine, and probably not just going to invade Ukraine, but within the next two weeks. And there, there's reasons why I think this. But I really want to discuss and unpack this question of should we, the United States, put boots on the ground? Should we send our military in? Should we be involved at all in this conflict between Ukraine and Russia? And if we are involved, does that mean that we're going to go to war with Russia? This is a question that conservatives, a lot of conservatives are actually taking the incorrect stance on. They're taking a stance that doesn't make a lot of sense. And I really want to unpack this, but before we get to that, when I was researching this this morning, I... Came across an article from Bloomberg, which is simultaneously the most disgusting and hilarious article. And I want to talk about this first because bugs, meaning insects, are disgusting. This is pretty universal. I don't know anyone who really truly likes them. But liberals are equally gross because listen to this. This article is called Why Bugs Must Be a Bigger Part of the Human Food Chain. Yes, that's right. So the same people who are telling us that we shouldn't eat red meat because of climate change they want us instead to eat little larvae. They want us to eat maggots. I'm not kidding. Listen to this. This is, what the, this is what the article says. It says, the European Union's landmark decision last week to, and this was, by the way, published in December. It's just making the rounds again today. The European Union's landmark decision last week to approve insects for human consumption was a victory for grubs and maggots. Oh, I'm actually going to gag. And people, they say, the world over. The approval confers a kind of dignity to the lowly protein-rich microbeasts. Oh, I'm actually like salivating in my mouth out of being so disgusted that we foolishly dismiss as pests and delivers a clear signal that the insect proteins industry is poised for significant growth. Above all, it paves the way for an alternative protein source that should play a critical role in feeding a hotter, more populous world. My friends, this... I mean, obviously, we're all disgusted. This is, I, I would read you more of this, but I don't want anybody to actually toss their cookies listening to this. Let me just tell you what the picture that came with this article is. It's a picture of a hamburger that actually has grubs crawling out of it. Oh, this is what the left, this is how obsessed the left is with climate change, though. I mean, obviously, everything is political here, but this is all supposed to be in the name of climate change. They say that this is better for the environment to feed cows and pigs instead of feeding them soy and corn. They want to feed cows and pigs bugs so that indirectly you are eating bugs when you eat the animals. All in the name of climate change, the protein they say is good for you, but here's the kicker. Not only does the left want us to eat bugs, which we should constantly bring up all the time, because anytime you want to debunk the climate change, agenda. You don't have to talk about green energy. You don't have to talk about fossil fuels. Just remind people that AOC doesn't want you to take an airplane. She wants you, I don't know, to take a covered wagon to Hawaii. And the radical environmentalist left also wants you to eat maggots, literal maggots crawling out of your hamburger. This is what the radical left wants. But the part that they ignore, this is a very interesting part. They claim that this is for your own good. They claim this is for the good of society. And they simultaneously claim that the people who are impacted the most or the worst by their allegations of what climate change does to society—they claim that the poorest among us are impacted the most and in the, the in the harshest ways. But if you look at the little, uh, if you look at the small print of their plan to eat more bugs, it also costs twice as much to feed animals insect proteins than to feed animals the way that we're feeding them right now with corn and with soy. So this contradiction, I think, is perhaps secondary to this disgusting picture of a hamburger crawling in larvae that they want you to eat because it's better for the earth not better for you better for the earth but they don't care about the cost the skyrocketing cost of what this would what what this would force you to pay for your meat because of course that that increased cost would be passed on to the consumer which is you you'd have to pay more for your basic your basic meat they don't care about you they don't care about your health they don't care about the health of animals they're just trying to convince you to eat worms because This is who they are, this is who they are, and it's the most disgusting thing in the world. Now let's talk about Russia. I'm Liz Wheeler, this is The Liz Wheeler Show. All right, should we be going to war with Russia and if we get militarily involved in the conflict or the impending conflict, maybe just a minor incursion, as President Biden would say, that's about to happen between the Ukraine and Russia, will will it amount to war with Russia? We're going to talk about that in a second. But first, I want to talk about my patriot supply. Friends, one of the biggest problems that all Americans will face this year in 2022 is runaway food prices. But I have a solution that you are going to love. Get yourself some long term storage emergency food from My Patriot Supply, America's largest emergency food provider. Hands down, this is the most affordable way to buy emergency food. Get the four week emergency food kit, which provides breakfast, lunch, dinner, drinks, and snacks. Right now, you can save $50 on each four week kit that you order if you go to preparewithliz.com. You can pick up one kit for each person in your family, and then you can laugh at the sky-high food prices at the grocery store, or, you know, these disgusting liberal articles that show hamburgers with larvae crawling, off, uh, crawling out from under the bun. We don't want any of that. No, thank you. But don't wait to take advantage of this good offer. Go to preparewithliz.com right now. That's preparewithliz.com. You and I know we are the consumers. We see the grocery stores. We see the empty shelves. There's a reason that empty shelves Biden has trended on Twitter, because we know that the supply chain crisis is a real thing. Make sure your family doesn't suffer from it. Go to preparewithliz.com right now and be prepared with your family. Okay, Russia. So, This is a very interesting topic because there is a conflict among the conservative movement right now on what the foreign policy philosophy of not only the Republican Party, but of conservatives in general should be. So basically the two classic foreign policies are isolationism, which is maybe the Rand Paul strain of foreign policy that basically says if it doesn't bother us on our shores it's not our business let's just lock ourselves down make sure no one's harming us and let the rest of the world do what the rest of the world will do it's not our business it's a very it's a very libertarian strain of thought but it it, it's increased in popularity because president trump's version of america first foreign policy was closer to isolationism than what we had experienced under the bush administration the bush administration also Republican, at least ostensibly so. The Bush administration was much more interventionalist. They believed themselves to be an arbiter of good, kind of your classic, the policeman of the world. And I I think there actually is room for the world superpower, especially when we are a constitutional republic. We're the freest, most prosperous nation the world has ever known, the most just nation. There's, of course, a role that the United States should play in helping enforce international law. But then we have you know, the toppling of regimes, this this regime change mentality that crossed the aisle from the Bush administration in Iraq to Hillary Clinton when she was Secretary of State under the Obama-Biden administration, what happened in Libya. There's this regime change mentality where these very powerful politicians would go in and they would just decapitate, both literally and figuratively, these despotic regimes, which is fine in one sense, it sounds fine. But what happens is that you leave this power vacuum. Once you get rid of a despotic regime, you leave a power vacuum. So in these power vacuums, not only can despotic regimes obviously take hold because there is that power vacuum, but we have terror groups like ISIS, for example. That's what happened in Iraq. That's what happened in Libya. ISIS-K. We have, you know, of course, the Taliban. Hopefully, they're not going to take over in Afghanistan. But given Biden's botched withdrawal in Afghanistan, the same situation is happening there. So we have this competition between these two extreme ends of the spectrum, this isolationism that doesn't take into account that we are no longer a nation where in order to wage an attack on each other, or we're no longer a globe, I should say, that in order order for one nation to wage an attack, it takes months of a transport ship with weapons of war crossing the oceans before you can stage this war of attrition. We're no longer... In that situation in our globe right now, we have this ability to not only launch attacks from the air on each other, but we have this immediacy of attack. So you can't just lock down your borders and say, okay, well, unless someone tries to come and take come and stage a siege against our country at our borders, then we're not gonna pay attention to what happens around the world. You have this other end, this interventionalism that's you know ridiculous. It's it's regime toppling, it's nation building. Both of these are wrong. And so when I hear conservatives, and when I call out the names of these conservatives, know that I do so because, not out of any animosity, but because we in the conservative movement actually believe in the public sphere. We actually believe in the public court of opinion. We want to bring our ideas to this public court of opinion, and we want them debated. We want people to push and pull at them and identify the pros and the cons, and we should be competing our ideas against one another. So when I say names like Tucker Carlson, and Jesse Kelly and Matt Walsh. I'm identifying them by name because they're articulating a a foreign policy that's much closer to the isolationist end of this spectrum. And so they immediately jump to this question, should we go to war with Russia? If we, the United States, get involved in what's happening with Ukraine right now, this buildup of Russian forces on the Ukrainian border, then it's going to cause the United States to have to send our sons and daughters in harm's way to go to war. We don't want a war with Ukraine, and we shouldn't be involved at all. Let Putin do what Putin will do with Ukraine, and it's simply none of our business. And I actually really, really hate this question. I hate the question of should we go to war with Russia, because I think it misses several really important points that we should be addressing before we ever get to this question. In other words, this question itself is very hyperbolic. It's very extreme. It's, it's something that you would tweet instead of having an hour or two hour or three hour long um symposium where you discuss the proper role of the United States in world conflicts. And so I want to go through a little bit of my thought process of how I'm looking at this conflict in Ukraine and how I'm analyzing what the proper role of the United States government is in being an arbiter around the world when another nuclear power like Russia, but an adversary, I don't want to quite say an enemy, but a hostile foreign nation, which Russia is to us when they are going beyond simply saber-rattling when they are threatening the sovereignty of a nation like Ukraine, when they are threatening the self-determination of a nation like Ukraine. So this all comes, of course, on the heels of Putin admitting, or at least when I say Putin admitting, I'm saying the British have a report from their intelligence agencies that Putin wants a Kremlin-backed Ukrainian leader, that this isn't going to be a quote-unquote minor incursion, as Biden so aptly put it publicly this isn't going to be a minor incursion into ukraine that putin actually wants to topple the ukrainian president zelensky and put in essentially a puppet of him a puppet of putin so let, let's let we have to go back a little bit we have to go back a little bit to understand what's happening here and to understand what's happening here we first have to ask why is russia doing what russia is doing why are they building up this this force on the border of ukraine what is it that they want because i can't imagine that Russia, being a nuclear power, wants to get into a an apocalyptic really nuclear war with the United States. Putin's not an idiot. He's a despot, but he's not an idiot. He understands the idea of mutually assured destruction. That if he gets into a war with the United States, then it's going to escalate very quickly to nuclear war. And as soon as nuclear war hits, then it's mutually assured destruction. As soon as there's one nuclear strike, then you know, if they strike us, then we're gonna strike back with everything we have and they're gonna be gone, or vice versa. That's why there hasn't been nuclear war, because of this mutually assured destruction. So why is Russia doing this? Well, w- Russia's doing this for two reasons, essentially, because they believe that the Ukraine is part of Russia. After the Soviet Union, of course, this there were nations that were broken off from the Soviet Union. They became their own sovereign nations. Russia never recognized this. This was something that was done by the rest of the world, but Russia believes that Ukraine is part of Russia. They feel that they have a right to take back what is theirs. That is not how the international community views this. The international community views this, that views international borders as being sovereign. We no longer, in the developed worlds at least, really accept nations taking over other nations. We don't accept boundaries being changed by violence anymore. That's There's there's a, a little pause, I guess you could call it, on that in our world history. I know the history of the world has been what exactly I just described, taking over other nations by force. But we no longer really do that in in the developed world. And so Russia is violating what I would call an international norm. The other aspect of this is you, the Ukraine really wants to join NATO, and Putin doesn't want Ukraine to join NATO because if Ukraine joins NATO, then obviously he's not going to be able to bring Ukraine back into Russia. And he knows about Article 5 of NATO, which says that when any NATO nation is attacked, the rest of NATO, the entirety of NATO, has to militarily come to the defense of that nation. So this is essentially all about NATO, but it's about NATO in the sense that Putin thinks that the Ukraine belongs to him to begin with. He doesn't recognize the sovereignty of the Ukraine. That being said, I don't think that Putin wants war with the United States. When I'm analyzing this, when I'm analyzing what that would mean, I don't think that Putin wants war with the United States. I think what Putin believes is that he can get away with what he's doing. He can get away with Biden's minor incursion on the Ukraine because Joe Biden is president of the United States. That's what Putin believes. Putin believes that the United States is not going to respond militarily. He believes that NATO won't respond militarily. He believes that Europe won't respond militarily because Europe typically follows what the United States does, even NATO. I mean, we're the biggest funders of NATO. We give the most money. The United States gives the most money to NATO. Usually, NATO does what the United States wants. So, Putin, I don't think, wants to go to war with the United States, but he doesn't think that the United States will respond militarily, which brings us to this second question. What we're facing right now reminds me a little bit of what we faced in August, where the options for what were happening in Afghanistan were a lose-lose. It was either we let the Taliban take over, which is what Biden ultimately did, which, of course, was an enormous loss a literal enormous loss 13 US military service members died plus the subjugation and oppression that the Taliban is waging against the Afghanistan the people of Afghanistan women in particular is horrendous that was one or the other was we increase our military force in Afghanistan in this 20 year war that has just been dragging on and on and on without a clear victory continues to drag on and on and on costs us more money costs us more manpower and you know that's that's not ideal either so this lose lose situation that we were in in August with Afghanistan, is being repeated in a sense. Not, not exactly the same scenario, but we're facing this, this lose-lose situation with what's happening in Ukraine regarding Russia for the exact same reason. And what I mean by that is the exact same reason is what's happening with Russia in Ukraine is not just happening arbitrarily. This is not just fate. This is not just you know the weather changing. No, what's happening is happening as a result of deliberate political choices, in this case, deliberate political choices made by Biden, by Joe Biden's weakness. Putin knows that he can push Biden around. Now, this is not just speculative. He's actually proved this. He did what's called a test balloon on the Biden administration, where Russia waged cyber attacks against us, the United States. You remember the colonial pipeline. And how did Joe Biden respond to this? It should have been treated as an act of war. It should have begot sanctions. It should have begot some kind of response from the United States when we're attacked by Russia. But what Biden said is he said, I gave Vladimir Putin a list of 16 off-limit sectors. The rest of the country, he insinuated, you can go ahead and attack. You can wage cyber attacks against, but 16 sectors are absolutely off-limits. If I'm Putin in this situation... I am literally laughing my head off. I have just committed an act of war against the United States and then I'm given a list by Joe Biden of what, I shouldn't, of what I shouldn't attack next. This is the ultimate act of weakness. And then of course, fast forward a little bit to what happened in Afghanistan and Putin is right there. He's looking, he's right next door looking in and he's seeing that Joe Biden surrendered. He's seeing that Joe Biden, even in a war that we have invested in, for as long as we've invested in Afghanistan and not only financially invested but one that we have a vested national interest meaning al-Qaeda wants to kill us the Taliban harbors al-Qaeda ISIS wants to kill us ISIS K is growing in the region even even in a war where we have a vested financial and national security interest Biden still surrenders because he hopes to get good PR out of it he doesn't he's not willing to he's not willing to actually win he's not willing to use the power the overwhelming force of the United States military to crush to crush this Poisonous ideology of radical Islam or the Taliban itself to win in Afghanistan before we withdraw or to leave a residual peacekeeping force. He's not willing to use the military at all. And so Putin sees this and he pushes even further. He says, Okay, well, here are some things that I want. Give me what I want, he demands. For example, Putin has obtained just absolutely mind boggling concessions from the United States without anything in return. He actually obtained a new start or a new extension, I should say, to the START treaty. And in response, he gave us nothing in response. Nothing in response. And so when we ask this question of should we go go to war with Russia, we have to ask ourselves, well, why is Russia doing this? They're doing this because they believe Ukraine is their their property, essentially. They think NATO will stand in the way of that. And we got to this point because Biden has been so weak that Putin doesn't believe that that his behavior will result in a strong response from the U.S. government, from the Biden administration. He thinks that he can just push Biden around, which he probably can. And that teaches us a very important lesson. We're going to get to that in one second. But first, I want to talk to you about American Hartford Gold. Now, I'm sure that I'm not the only one who's noticed everything is getting expensive, very expensive. We are in the biggest economic crisis since 2008. Consumer prices are the highest we have seen in 30 years. Inflation is seemingly here to stay. And if the government continues its out of control printing and spending, the dollar could continue its free fall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. How do you protect your money, your retirement, your savings? Well, American Hartford Gold can show you how to hedge your hard earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. They'll even help move your existing IRA or 401k out of the volatile stock market into a precious metals IRA. And they make it easy. They are the highest rated firm in the country with an A plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied clients. And if you call them right now, they will give you up to $1,500 of free silver on your first qualifying order. So don't wait. Call 855 768 1883. That's 855 855- 768 1883 or text LIZ to 65532. Again, that's 855-768-1883, or text LIZ to 65532. So the, the, the lesson here, of course, is elections have consequences. The United States made a choice, more or less, to, for Biden to be the chief executive. We, Biden, Biden, by the way, isn't just weak on foreign policy as the president. Biden was in the Senate since before I was born. His foreign policy views have been atrocious for literally decades. And yet the American people, were, sometimes we're so self-focused that we forget that foreign policy is really important, not just for our own national security, but for the prosperity of our nation. And the prosperity of our nation is, it, it doesn't just translate into our lives. It impacts directly our lives from how much, consumer goods cost to how robust our economy is, meaning whether or not we have job opportunities to our freedoms and liberties to make choices about religion and free speech and taking our goods and services to the market. All of these things are impacted by our position as the world superpower. And our position as world superpower can be threatened if we have a weak chief executive that just allows other nations to run roughshod over us. So elections have consequences. It's also, by the way, this I this did make me laugh. So the Democrats, back when Mitt Romney was running against Barack Obama, obviously Joe Biden was part of this. He was the vice president. The Democrats ruthlessly mocked Mitt Romney. You guys probably remember this. Ruthlessly mocked him because during one of the debates when Romney was asked who the United States faces as our greatest geopolitical threat, Romney answered Russia. Now, I have a lot of issues with Mitt Romney. I don't think that he is a good senator. I pretty much disagree with him on everything right now. However compared to barack obama back in the day mitt romney was the choice he was he was the alternative he was the one i voted for the one you probably voted for because he wasn't barack obama he wasn't joe biden at least back then and the democrats actually sent out a tweet it's still on twitter you can go look this up they haven't deleted this although maybe maybe they will once once it becomes known or once it makes the serve, once it makes the rounds in conservative twitter this is what they tweeted quote romney who calls Russia our number one geopolitical foe, doesn't seem to realize it's the 21st century. Because remember when Obama said the 21st century has called and want their foreign policy back and he thought he was so funny and all these mainstream media talking heads just laughed and, you know, like this was the most hilarious joke that was ever made, Mockingham. Well, fast forward just a little tiny bit. After Barack Obama and Joe Biden ignored Russia, you know, Hillary Clinton with her red reset button, we sold our our uranium to to russian basically to kremlin backed entities thanks to hillary clinton and look at where we are now putin thinks that he can just push biden around push biden around that he thinks that he can just stage an invasion of ukraine and biden won't respond at all so get this, now now we go back to this this idea this false choice between intervention interventionalism and isolationism these are two extremes they're on the extreme ends now i wouldn't even say that we should find a happy medium here. Because I don't think that foreign policy is just this linear structure. It's not just a linear spectrum. There's actually what I would call secret option number three. Now, it's not really a secret option. This is a foreign policy that many great people, including Ronald Reagan, espoused and espoused successfully. And President Trump actually practiced a version of this. So the Ronald Reagan foreign policy is called national interest. That's the question that you apply to every situation. Is it in the United States' national interest to get involved, to protect or defend or challenge or go to war? Is it in our national interest? Not just is it in the interest of the people involved or of that nation that's involved, or even in the interest of the world, is it in our national interest? President Trump called this America first, that he was going to put our country, in our country's interests primary. And, you know, President Trump was actually told that he was selfish, told that this was terrible by the interventionalists in both parties. Again, these foreign policy, this this dichotomy of foreign policy isn't just among conservatives. It's on the left as well. There are people there are people like Hillary Clinton who never never met a country she didn't want to bomb. And then there are the anti-war, you know, the anti-war peace sign protesters on on the radical left as well, the hippie version people, the anti-vietnam War people. So it, it's not really, a partisan issue per se at this point. But this this other option, this national interest, this is how we should be looking at Ukraine. We should be asking, well, is it in our national interest to get involved in what's happening right now? What is our national interest in Ukraine? And if you look at this, if you analyze this, this actually tells us then what the proper course of action should be. What is our national interest in Ukraine? Well, first there's some indirect national interests in the sense that how Biden behaved in Afghanistan gave cues to both Putin in Russia and to President Xi Jinping of China how the United States will respond when these other nuclear nations misbehave or even violate international norms or even violate international laws. So there's always this indirect this indirect ramification of your response to one situation because it, it signals to somebody else. Maybe even we're talking about Kim Jong un. Maybe we're talking about Iran. All of these different hostile nations or nations that are hostile to the United States look to situations they are not involved in to apply the United States' response to a situation that they might want to create. So if Iran wants to become a nuclear power, they say, well, Trump was going to stop us from doing that, but will Biden? And to answer that question of will Biden stop us, they say, well, Biden didn't stop Putin. He didn't stop Putin from taking over Ukraine or he didn't stop the Taliban from taking over Kabul. They, they apply, hostile nations and foreign and hostile foreign actors apply the behavior of an administration to their hypothetical agenda or desire. So that's sort of the indirect national interest of Ukraine is how Biden responds here. The eyes of the world are literally on him. Now, the the other part of this is perhaps we don't have a strong or a strong enough strategic interest or national interest in Ukraine. Perhaps it's not a situation where, like, let me, let me go back, actually. Let me go back in history for a minute. Let me go back in history and say, apply this, how Ronald Reagan applied this when there was the threat of communism in, in our hemisphere. When he applied this to Grenada, when he applied this to the Americas, as I should say, to be more accurate here, um, that was a very quick use of overwhelming force to stop communism from having a foothold in the Americas. And this use of overwhelming force signaled to everyone else every other hostile nation or every other aspiring Marxist or socialist or communist that you will not be tolerated in the Americas. You can keep your communism, you can keep your socialism out of an area that would provide a strategic foothold for larger communist or socialist or Marxist nations to maybe have bases, maybe have intelligence, maybe have access, easier access, at least geographical access to the United States. So when, when you look through this lens of a lens of deterrence, Or using our overwhelming strength to signal what will be tolerated as it begins to encroach on our national interests. I don't know if that applies to Ukraine. I actually think that perhaps it does not. We don't have a strategic interest in that sense, in the sense that Ukraine is not near enough to one of our close allies as to be an existential threat if Russia were to take over Ukraine. They are not near enough to us to provide a foothold for greater access to our country, even if a hostile actor took them over. So there's this this back and forth. I mean, we do have some interest in Ukraine. We have interest in general in upholding or enforcing international law because should Putin invade Ukraine, which he probably will, that's a violation of international law. It's taking over a sovereign nation. We have an interest in assisting a nation in their right to self-determination. So you can see we can go back and forth between these competing interests, which interest is the larger interest, which interest becomes dominant, therefore helping inform our decision on how we should respond when Putin invades Ukraine. And I, I keep saying when and not if, because it's, it's pretty widely known in military circles that when you have this buildup, this, this massive buildup of troops on the Ukrainian border, you have about two weeks two weeks before the morale of these troops who've been all geared up to go to war, this is what they've been training for. These are hungry military soldiers, killers who are just basically waiting to be released. They're just waiting to see the green light to go to war. But after about two weeks, the adrenaline dies down. The morale dies down. you You have less likelihood of winning whatever objective your objective is, not to mention your military equipment at that time starts to need servicing and your resources, sometimes it's as basic as food and water and ammunition and healthcare and all this stuff starts to need to be replenished. So it's 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 sort of known that, it's sort of common knowledge that after two weeks, that's maybe the deadline if you are to tell whether you're saber rattling or whether you're being serious. So that's why I say Putin, it isn't just a matter of when Putin invades. He probably will invade because he's, he's not going to want to lose face. He's built up these forces to this extent. And now it's kind of just a, uh, stopwatch it's it's basically just a timer it's it's counting down until um until he will invade now i i don't i personally don't think that he will want to lose face i do think however that i and this circles back to what i said at the beginning i don't think that he wants to go to war with the united states i do think however that he will invade the ukraine so how do you marry these two things and what is the ultimate outcome we're going to talk about that in just a second but first i want to talk to you about trust and will we all know that we need one right But most of us, if we're being honest, put off creating a trust or a will. At trustandwill.com, setting up an estate plan is simple, it's convenient, and it's secure. For as little as $39, you can nominate guardians for your children, you can determine who gets your stuff in the event of your death, and you can plan for future medical care all from the comfort of your own home. As you know, hiring an estate, a traditional estate attorney can cost thousands of dollars and using a one-size-fits-all template is not nearly specialized enough for you and your family. Well, trust and will documents are designed by estate planning experts and customized for the state that you live in. They also have live customer support seven days a week. They will answer any of your questions. That's why they're one of the most trusted names in online estate planning. So gain peace of mind at trustandwill.com slash Liz. If you use my URL, trustandwill.com slash Liz, then you will get 10% off plus free shipping of your customized legal documents. So don't wait. Take advantage of this offer right now. It's really important. Get 10% off plus free shipping at trustandwill.com slash Liz. You have to use my URL though. Trustandwill.com slash Liz. 10% off plus free shipping. Plus you'll be glad you did it. It's the responsible thing to do. So how do you marry this idea that Putin does not want to lose face now that he has amassed his troops on the border of Ukraine versus this idea that Putin doesn't want to go to war with the United States because mutually assured, assured destruction still still exists. This is still a thing. Well, it ties back into what's happening with NATO and it ties back into what Biden has said publicly. So I've I've mocked Biden for using this word or this phrase minor incursion. He was talking to the press And he said, well, you know, if Putin, if it's just a minor incursion, I don't know if the United States will respond militarily. And of course there was this huge backlash and Biden walked back and said, if even one, one, one unit or whatever he called it, one attachment goes into the Ukraine, then we will respond to overwhelming force. Well, huge contradiction there. So again, we don't know exactly how he's going to respond here. It seems that he's more interested in what the mainstream media, what CNN and, you know, MSNBC and the New York Times think of, think of his press conferences versus applying his foreign policy responsibly. But here's the thing. There's, there's some geographical complicating factors in exactly how Putin is behaving that tips his hand a little bit. So what he's doing is he's He's amassing these troops at the eastern border of Ukraine. Now the eastern border of Ukraine is actually very pro-Russian. You go in there and people identify as being Russian. They speak Russian. They actually might welcome Russian troops. We're not talking about the rebel groups that you would find in western Ukraine. This is a very Russian influenced part of Ukraine. And Putin's not stupid. Putin knows this. So, if you're amassing troops on the eastern part of Ukraine, it might mean well you don't really want this to be a bloody battle. You want this to be more of a show and you want this to be a show because you want to extract concessions in order to stop. And that, my friends, I think is what Putin is doing here. I think that he is planning on invading. He's planning on a minor incursion. And Biden, by the way, is also tipping his hand. When he says that, when he makes that comment about a minor incursion, he's not just talking about what the United States thinks of this or what the, how the United States might respond. Think about Biden's conversations behind the scenes. Do you think, for example, if Germany, what Germany thinks or how Germany will respond if Putin invades the eastern part of Ukraine? Do you think Germany cares? I don't. I think my speculation, my educated guess, is that the Biden administration talked to the Germans and the Germans said, we are not on board with military action if Putin just invades the eastern part of Ukraine. In fact, I think that that's NATO's view. I think that's all of Europe's view. I don't think Biden was just speaking for himself there. I think he's speaking about the international consortium here. And Putin knows this. And so what does Putin want? He wants Ukraine back. He wants to prevent Ukraine from becoming part of NATO. He doesn't really want a bloody battle here. So he chooses a part of Ukraine that's very pro-Russian, knowing that European powers like Germany aren't interested in a bloody battle over the eastern part of Ukraine, knowing that Biden doesn't want to go to war, with Putin, knowing that Biden doesn't want to go to war anywhere without international, without international consent, essentially, since Biden doesn't want to be the leader. He doesn't want to say, we, the United States, are doing X, Y, Z, and the rest of you should follow us. He doesn't want to go without the permission of the United Nations and NATO and all of these other international European powers. And so maybe Biden's thoughts are really revealing here. Maybe he's signaling to Putin. It's, it's weakness that he's signaling, but he's signaling to Putin well, if you do this, we're really intent on stopping you from doing this, but not militarily. And it's not, like, it's not like Biden's interested in diplomatic sanctions. It's not like he's interested in economic sanctions. It's also different, by the way, to, th- to publicly threaten sanctions against a nuclear power like Russia versus threatening sanctions on North Korea or threatening sanctions on Iran. It's actually stupid to threaten sanctions on Putin because what happens is the more you demonize Putin, the more you drive him into the arms of the Chinese. And what could be more dangerous to our entire globe than Russia and China, probably the second and third most powerful countries after the United States and both nuclear powers, what could be more dangerous than the two of them forming an alliance, a hostile alliance against the United States? So what Biden's doing is not only weak, it's not only naive, it's actually very dangerous. Because if Putin feels demonized by the entire international community, he is going to turn into the arms of China. Meanwhile, of course, China is buzzing Taiwan with their with their jets. They are they are pushing, they are sending their test balloon, challenging Biden because they see Biden's very weak response to this. And what does Biden want more than anything else? He wants to get away. He wants to end this without any bloodshed, which is fine. That's that's a fine goal. It's not that that in and of itself is is a problem. It's that he's he's put himself in a position where he's in the he's not in a negotiating position of power. He's in a position of weakness. And so, what is he going to do? What is he going to do here? That's why he goes back and forth. I don't know what he's going to do. I know what he should do. What he should do is he should take the advice of he should take the advice of Fred Flights. Fred Flights is at the American First Policy Institute. He was the former national or er, um, deputy national security advisor to President Trump. And Fred Flights thinks that the United States should take leadership in saying, okay, we'll postpone admitting Ukraine into NATO for five or 10 years. Basically, kick the can down the road until we can get a stronger president, a stronger administration, and then negotiate from a position of power. And this, I think, is very wise advice because we don't want war with Russia. And Biden, through not not because of what Putin's doing right now, but through other decisions, and other deliberate political actions Biden has taken. Biden has brought us to this point, this lose-lose. Either we let Putin start violating international norms, let him take over Ukraine, or we, the United States, send our military in, which nobody wants to do. So make no mistake, this is not just a battle between isolationism and interventionalism. This is a result of the elections. This is a result of not just electing Biden but first electing Barack Obama and Biden and part part of the ramifications of this are even the negotiations right look at the negotiations who who are the who are the two main main actors in these negotiations we have Sergey Lavrov of Russia who has been foreign ambassador for 18 years 18 years and his counterpart here in the United States the secretary of state Anthony Blinken his resume is he's been a lifelong loyal aide to Joe Biden so he got a nice, comfy, cushy seat. And you can see, you can see the weakness of Blinken, the inexperience, the naivete. He just doesn't know what he's doing. And so Sergei Lavrov is completely out negotiating. him. So what, what Biden should do, to wrap this up, what Biden should do is behind the scenes, privately, not publicly, he should threaten Putin with very serious sanctions. Publicly, he should not because publicly is going to demonize Putin. It's going to, it's going to cause Putin to feel that he's losing face and it's going to drive him into the arms of China. So privately, Biden should be tough. He also should understand the indirect consequences of all of his foreign policy. So Afghanistan or his response to the hacking of the colonial pipeline, all of these things lead Putin to believe, and perhaps rightfully so, that Biden will not respond with any force if Putin goes beyond saber rattling and actually invades Ukraine. And then, if and when Putin does invade Ukraine, Biden should give lethal aid to the Ukraine so that they can try to enforce international law, that they can defend their right to self-determination, and so that it's very costly for Putin to do something like this, so that Putin is not, does not go unpunished for his behavior, even if the United States is not going to send troops into battle. So all, all of this to say is perhaps war with Russia can be avoided. It should be avoided. But what should really be avoided? is politicians who lead us into a lose-lose situation. Politicians who degrade the power of the United States and give that power essentially to dictators like Vladimir Putin and bring us through their incompetence to the point where we actually even have to entertain this horrible question that I hate because it's really a false choice. So moral of the story is the American people, you and I, Well, perhaps not you and I, because I don't think you and I were stupid enough to vote for Biden, but the others who did vote for Biden should know better the next time and they should not do it. I'm Liz Wheeler. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay, executive producer, Chad Abbott, director of photography, Kevin McRoberts editor Alejandro Figuerilla, sound mixer Robin Fenderson, director of marketing Emily Washler, production and talent coordinator Matt Toffler, and senior publicist Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.